Welcome to the Traffic Masters Show. Each week, Traffic Masters explores the lifeblood of your business, generating traffic, turning visitors into leads, and conversion strategies. Mastering traffic and conversion allows you to grow a business you love and live the life of your dreams. Welcome to the show. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Traffic Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the Dean and Founder of Directions University and the co-founder of Divisio, the all-new affiliate network for people in all niches. We have got yet another fantastic show lined up for you guys today. We have my co-host and partner in crime, so to speak, Jack Humphrey, joining us. Hello, Jack. Hello, crime partner. How are you today? <laughs> Cold. I woke up this Cold. morning with 35-degree wind chills in Florida. Wow. Yeah, we're only at 18 degrees here, so everything you touch in the house is cold. <laughs> As it is here in Florida today, believe it or not, everything is cold. Wow. Very well, My strange. orange juice is okay. I need my orange juice. <laughs> well, the last three days we've been having these storms that have brought really serious tornadoes, and I got to learn a new meteorological word. Have you ever heard of a meteo tsunami? No. Apparently, we have had a meteo tsunami here in Florida. There is a low pressure zone that happened over the Gulf that had conditions just perfect, so much so that it literally created a tsunami in the Gulf. Most tsunamis are created by a geological event. A meteor tsunami is created by a meteorological event. Never heard of that before. But, oh, man, it's been a wild ride the last couple of days. Nice. Well, it helps when you're in the 20th floor of a building. If any tsunamis want to come trying to chase you, they're going to have to be pretty big. That is true. I have been fine, but the water levels in the river rose so much that yesterday didn't actually go underneath the bridges at all. Wow. It's wild. Weather. The weather report. We have to start the show with a weather report occasionally. (laughs) There you go. So I'm going to let you do the honors of telling everybody about our fantastic guest today. We have Phaedra Koenig. I hope I'm pronouncing everything properly there. Uh, She's a best-selling author, lover of iced tea and snarky banter. We're going to get along famously. Phaedra is determined to shake people up about their mediocrity and stop living a a half-life that is killing their spirit. Known in pop culture as America's crisis coach, Phaedra shares stories of triumph and hope that make a lasting impact on people moving through their own crisis. You can find out more about Phaedra at doinglifewithphaedra.com, and you can find her books at phaedraonamazon.com. You can also catch her. She's a fellow podcaster. Uh, Their show is called Coming Out of the Fire on iTunes. So, Phaedra, I hope I got everything in there. Was Was that fairly decent? Fairly it accurate. was fairly decent. It was fairly accurate. The last name is Koenig. It's not Koenig. pronounced the German way like Sarah does oh. on This American Life. But, yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. 
Hey, well, I just want I you to know so that that's my preferred way of pronouncing it. <laughs> I was being okay, fancy with works. German. I usually just go by my first name. It's so different. It's kind of like Oprah and Cher. It's just Phaedra. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of that last name altogether. You don't need two of those. That's unique enough. (laughs) Except at Starbucks, in which case it gets any number of things. You've got to follow Yeah, I was going to say, apparently you follow me on Facebook. (laughs) Oh, my God. Really, I want to make a video so bad of the pictures of your shoes and the way they spell your name. Just like a a 10-minute collage of it going between the two because you would not believe the number of ways that people can spell Phaedra. Yeah, it's been really fun. It's been an awesome way for me to get brand recognition for myself without divulging any confidentiality for the people that I work with. So it's been really fun. (laughs) Well, we're going to start you off the same way we start everybody off. What gets you out of bed these days? What made you so excited to jump out of bed today? Oh, this morning I started off with coaching clients, so that's always awesome. And I live in sunny California, which is not true today. It's very windy and raining. And I do live in Northern Cal, which is not what people typically think California is. We have mountains and snow and lakes and that sort of thing. So, yeah, today it was all about coaching. I think I'm so stoked, though, about my new podcast, um, Coming Out of the Fire. It hit uh, number three in the business category of iTunes within a few days of launching, and that was a real satisfying moment. And then just racking up these awesome interviews with really amazing people who have been through what I call, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say that word on air here, uh, what I call a really crazy <laughs> crisis. <laughs> I wanna, I'm so curious about the word now. I think we can say it. We're, this is a PG-13 show. It's a PG-13. Okay, well, the first word is bat. And the second word is the S word. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got it. Well, cool. So you're a people helper. This is good. Yeah, I, and, uh, I do. And the podcast is kind of to expose what you do uh, in helping people with your coaching and or consulting. Well, the. The purpose of the podcast is really simple. When I was going through the worst times of my life, I didn't know anybody who had gone through what I was facing at that moment, and I felt very, very alone. And so the purpose of the podcast is for people to hear other really high-end crazy stories. I mean, my people have been born into a cult, people who've been in plane crashes, people who've been in tornadoes, people who've lost family members to murder. These are really high-end crises. And the purpose of it is if you're going through your stuff, you're going to hear somebody who's been to the depths and they've made it through the other side. And when I was going through my situation, I needed to know that I was going to get to the other side. And I didn't know how because it was uncommon and it wasn't as simple as a divorce or um, some things that people experience that are more common. It doesn't mean that they're not critical, but it's something that you could reach out and talk to a sister who's had breast cancer or you could talk to somebody who, you know, had... um, lost their home to foreclosure. But what I was going through, I didn't know anyone. And so the purpose of my podcast is to bring comfort to people who feel like they are alone. So that's interesting because it's a, it's, a, it's a crisis situation. If I'm, if I'm looking for someone like you and, uh, and, and, and you're looking for someone like me, <laughs> how are you attracting people? How are, you, um, how are people finding you? 
Well, I have a pretty good presence in pop culture. I've been fortunate that Huffington Post and some news media have taken interest to my brand, and it's helped me um, be able to have opportunities to be seen and heard. I also try and use any opportunity I can to get out in front of people because when they hear how I do crisis management, they see that people in everyday life really need to look at some of their preparedness. It's like preppers, right? Uh, There's things that we can do to be prepared for crisis. And if we're not in crisis, chances are we know someone who is going to be or who is. Um, So it it helps alleviate uh, some of the things that come up when we hit a wall. So, Getting out there really is about my blogging. It is about the podcast that has been very um, helpful. Being a member of groups has been a big, important step for me. Um, There's just multiple ways that I draw traffic to my brand. I imagine that word of mouth is is one of the big ones, and people just remembering um, some neat story that you told, some something where they came in contact with you, and whether they were in a – crisis situation or not, they just remember you, I would imagine, and go, hey, uh, so-and-so is having a problem. I'm sending them over here. Is that is that fairly accurate there? Yes, absolutely. Word of mouth is a big, big one. And I've started doing some beta testing lately. I held a beta group, which gave me some really amazing results because oftentimes people come and say, well, I love what you do. I certainly love the way you talk. People tell me I'm funny. Um, and I want to be around you. I want to learn from you, but I'm not going through a crisis. And so I hosted a beta group where I was talking with entrepreneurs who were not achieving at the levels that they wanted to be. They were hiring high-end coaches, and yet they still weren't achieving where the coaches thought they could be or where even they hoped and dreamed they could be. And what I helped them do is look at their what I call their off-duty life, and we assess what's going on behind the scenes. And I helped them have some big aha moments because we really can't keep those two things separate. And I do what I call closing the gap between our on-duty and our off-duty life. And in doing that, people are achieving at this massive level. Well, that's not part of my current brand. That is all about, you know, crisis. So by doing this beta group, I was able to teach people really key things that help us in everyday life, things like how to understand difficult people and how to work with them, Um, how to rise above our own limitations and move through them from a psychological perspective because my background Mm -hmm. is all in psychology and I worked 22 years in the fields of mental health, family court services, and social work. So I take a social worker perspective to everything I do and some really interesting things have been happening for me in the last six months. Coaches are asking me to teach them how I coach because it's a different type of coaching that's born out of you know, working with thousands of families over 22 years. You don't get that level of training when you get a life coaching certificate. So coaches are asking me about how I do that. And then business owners are wanting to understand how they can take and understand themselves better and take bigger action. So my business is actually morphing into almost like this trident of three prongs where I can serve people. That is crazy. I love it when that happens. Yeah. Does that does how do you keep everything straight? Does it feel like it's fluid? Do you feel like you're caught up in sort of a a typhoon or is it somewhere in between? Uh it's not a typhoon for sure, but what I have done is I've gotten very very intentional lately about my business and I've made this matrix where it clearly shows these three different areas and I'm developing 
my policies and procedures, my products, my offerings in each of those areas very specifically and intentionally. And that is keeping it from being the tsunami or the too out of control for me because I'm taking yeah. action when I'm ready. Right. Good. I, I imagine that that would be the case, but uh, a lot of people find themselves in situations where they're not really sure what to do, that they have an intention, and then people come up to them for other things, and they don't know if they should turn them down or take them on, or, you know, they had a coach one time that said, stay focused, at all costs, oh, yeah. stay focused, you know, and right. they don't know what to do at that point, so, um, <laughs> yeah, the, what, you, what, what you went, what's that? I take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the very best thing to handle most situations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, elaborate on that a little bit more then. So let's let's say that we have some listeners, because I know we do, who are in a situation where they're not really sure about the direction of their business because of, I, I you know, the way you described it, it's like what – Somebody looking at it would go, why are you, okay, you're a crisis, okay, that's over here, but then businesses are coming to you, why? Because something like that's happening to everybody at some point in their business. They're, they have an intention, they get known for something, people really like them, and they're like, hey, can you help me over here too? How do you, how would you guide us through that situation so that we handle it as uh, as well as you have? I think you have to be really intentional of it. I'll use John Lee Dumas as an example. I don't know if you follow him, Entrepreneur on Fire, mm -hmm. but he's the first mm -hmm. thing that just popped into my head. So he started off with a seven-day-a-week podcast that was interviewing entrepreneurs about their journey. That was his, his shtick. That was his deal. And then over time, mm -hmm. he ended up branching out and doing Podcaster's Paradise, where he was teaching people how to be a podcaster. And now he branched out into Webinar on Fire where he's teaching people how to do webinars. So what happened for him was he was a nobody doing nothing, right, in the podcasting world and started a podcast. He got really good at that craft, and that became a commodity. People loved his show, and they were listening for the content, but they're like, hey, dude, how do you do that? How do you start a podcast? And, he, and so he created a product and offering and built an arm of his business that does that. And that ended up being incredibly lucrative for him. But in knowing that multiple streams of income are so important, he saw that, okay, what is the way that I was getting everybody into my funnel for Podcasters Paradise? Well, he did it by holding a weekly webinar. So when he started to expand and thought, okay, I'm going to tap this market of podcasting, and, you know, at some point that goldmine might play out. Maybe podcasting will become oversaturated. Maybe it will implode, whatever. But webinars, okay, here's how I did one webinar a week, you know, for an entire year or two years or whatever, and then he started that branch of his business. So if you look at it, he was a podcaster who really all his cachet was interviewing people, and yet mm. now he's well-known for podcasting, for webinars, and now he's taken those multiple streams of income, and he's investing. He's a part of, a, I think, a foundation that um, builds schools in other nations, you know, so... If you look at athletes maybe who um, were football players, they became, you know, co-owners in restaurants and did different things. That's that whole multiple streams of income thing. So for me to diversify and have – I have an umbrella, which is Phaedra and Company. That's my umbrella, my, um, my business. And then I have branches. I have divisions. So I have my corporate division. I have my uh, coaching with Phaedra division. And I have my coaching like Phaedra division. 
and there are there right. is overlap, but yeah, it's it's a three pronged trident that produces ability for me to make income from different areas. So in your example, and with you as an example as well, it seems like one takeaway would be uh, don't fall in love with the medium. <laughs> Whatever you're using in, in the podcasting sense, you might want to uh, be open to opportunity and not confuse it with distraction when it comes time that you might be a specialist in webinars. right? But, it, but And then he found what his real voice was, which was his voice, which was his ability to do interviews to and then then that kind of freed him from the medium right he went from podcasting to webinars and he's free to do anything else because he figured out what his core purpose is what his core good thing is and 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 so that was a good takeaway i would think um so yeah i think remaining open you know how could how could you put that into better words that i'm not doing right now i'm not doing it well but how uh to remain open to what you're really good at, or maybe discovering what your really good core thing is so that there's not – I'm picturing somebody, because we see clients like this all the time that are really, really, really focused on one thing. And they're like, this is it. I'm, it's going to make it – and I know to focus, so I'm going to focus. I'm going to put the blinders on. And it, it's more of a medium question, like how I do something, rather than a why I do something, a big why thing. Can you put it in better words? Well, you hit the nail on the head. You were very clear about it. Um, I liken it to this. If you ask me what I do well, I solve problems. That's what I do well. Uh, For 22 years working with families, I was solving problems. Well, when I branched out um, and went online, it was an evolution. I became a blogger before it was a thing. It was back when they were basically electronic diaries. And I started to Mm -hmm. develop this kind of name and brand for myself in writing and speaking. And it was just a natural evolution. But even in all that writing and speaking, I was just still solving problems. And if I took, you have to start somewhere. So I started actually in the divorce niche and was just working with families going through divorce and solving problems. Same thing. Even though we're talking about divorce, we're also talking about, you know, child care or you hate, you know, your job or whatever, right? Solving problems. And then that niche became too narrow for me and I widened to crisis management as a whole because a lot of people are like, well, I want to work with you, but I'm not going through divorce. So I widened that niche, and that was a really good fit for me. And again, working with business owners, they're saying, well, I'm not in crisis, but I like how you look at life. I like how you, quote, solve problems, right? So I see that my innate ability throughout all of this is solving problems and teaching people how to do that for themselves. So with John, yes, he has learned that his talent is uh, motivation, it's it's engagement with other people, and because he's good at that, he's good at sales. You know, he's good at uh, teaching. He's good at organizing content. He's good at so these are things that he probably was great at when he was in the military. He was great at when he was in college. They're who he was all the time, and so his delivery of who he was all the time might tweak, and so might your listeners. And we do get conflicting messages, right? We get that whole do one thing. Well, my Mm -hmm. vision of the do one thing is when you don't know who you are and what you're good at. I know I'm good at solving problems. Therefore, I can always pick a niche or a business decision that will put me in the place of solving problems. So my core is the same. Maybe my target audience will shift. That's called a pivot. So people who don't know what they're good at if they pick one thing and they 
only stick with it for six months, then they burn out or they try something new. That's where I feel like people think, well, I didn't have focus. But there's yeah. a there's a difference. Does that is that coming across? Am I explaining that correctly right. for you? No, yeah, absolutely. There's a big difference, right? And I think at that point sometimes I just help people or try to help them by saying, you know, uh where's the where are the conversations in your world that are fun that you feel like you can never, you know, a lot of people seem to be going towards something or focusing on something that they think they have to. And it and it seems like setting it up, you know, psychologically all the wrong way. You know, I have to do I have to, you know, do this thing. Like when we used to think entrepreneurs before we became entrepreneurs, I have to go get this job and do this work so I can have this money and then I'll do the fun things in life after I'm done working and I have the money and everything to take care of bills. So, you know, that sounds like somebody who could very easily be making the wrong career choice just cuz they're they're only doing it for money. They have to pay the bills. We all have to do that. That's the way we were all brought up, right? Find something you're good at wasn't always the the advice that we got. Just find something that you can do. And I think a lot of people, they become entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial or they're attracted to it, but they they bring a lot of that old baggage with them, like what we learned in school and what we learned in college and how we were supposed to have a same job for the rest of our lives and all these old ideas uh, of things. And I find a lot of people aren't really thinking completely for themselves. They're always thinking what they should do based on what other people expect of them or there's some level of that in there. And uh, I, I imagine that you've worked with tons and tons of people just to clear out those cobwebs and really get people to dream for a minute, think without boundaries and without the constraints that you think other people are going to put on you or society or whoever expects the most of you and just, Think about for a minute or maybe a little bit longer what you want to do, what you're really excited about. And I think most of the time their picture of what they want to do changes radically, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that the general – I'm not sure what age you are. I'm going to be 47 next month. And I think that pretty much from I'm the age 47. 40 – Okay, okay. <laughs> so I think pretty much from the 40s up, that mindset you described was, you know, get a degree, get a job, get stability, get – insurance, get retirement, you know, and get benefits. That was what was drilled into our generation. Now, I know my children's mm-hmm. generation, it was radically different. Not that there aren't some, because depending on where you live geographically and, and the culture of your family, um, <clears throat> there is still some sense of go get the good J-O-B. But there's this whole entrepreneurial revolution coming of this younger generation and they don't look at life the same they don't want to trade dollars for hours they want to trade in outcomes for hours right and they don't want to be micromanaged Mm -hmm. and they want to be able to work from home and they want to be able to have their you know ipod in and just different things like that so there's this shift between the generations that's pretty obvious the other thing is a lot of people that i speak with they're frustrated because they're really good at x and they signed on to be an entrepreneur doing x but what no one shared with them or they didn't read enough about the entrepreneur application is that you've got to also be good at being a marketer, being a business owner, uh, managing a budget, you know, doing all of these things that have to go with being a business owner. And people come at that at different capacities and different willingness. Um, it's really frustrating as an example for someone who's very shy to, and wants to be a web designer, 
to go out and market and network and show their unique selling proposition. What they want to do is design websites, and they want to be left alone to do that. Well, you need to be working for somebody else or have a partner who loves the marketing and getting the clients because you can't do the web design if the clients don't want you. And if they don't even know you exist because you're too shy, you're never going to and, – and you're going to feel like a failure. You're going to feel like it's too hard. It's not fair and that sort of spiral. Mhm. And it's all well, unnecessary. It doesn't I mean like when you take people through an exercise and that that was just one example not that you may have ever worked with somebody just in that situation but in any situation it's really a matter of people not thinking not allowing themselves to think outside whatever box they've put themselves in or that they see themselves in. Whatever generation it is, we all put ourselves in boxes. And we you always have to you know, maintain a guard against that. Am I am I thinking too narrowly about this? And when people become entrepreneurial, yeah, it's like, well, I'm I'm not allowed to do this, or I can do this, or I can't do this, based on whatever their previous experience was, you know, and what they learned from other people. And they're only secure about what they're good at. I found lots of web designers, actually, really, really good ones, who were just lost on the web. They had their own site. It didn't look as good as the ones that they were making for their people because the cobbler's shoes and kids and all that stuff. Yeah. But you know they they and and they were like please just bring me clients just get me stuff and they were basically asking for a job and I'm like dang it don't do that I mean let's do it this way you, you know you're allowed to think about it this way and this way and it's really fun to broaden people's horizons that way but it's kind of also telling when you see the the level of burnout that people have the level of frustration and everything else when it usually leads back to that problem they're just not thinking you know, broadly enough about what they're able to do and and the fantastic resources they have around them that they're not even seeing. When I was, uh, you know, in the environmental movement in the 90s, I uh, was a tracker, and I would take people, we would raise money for the projects that we were doing in the Southwest um, by having people come out and do kind of uh, work vacations where they would help us rip out roads. We were helping the Forest Service get rid of the illegal roads in the forests and things in the southwest and in order to get that um, work done we'd have people who were like Sierra Clubbers and Nature Conservancy members from New York and LA come and they were environmentalists but they were city slickers I mean they would be dead within two days if I wasn't there (laughs) you know out in the remote places that we were they didn't know anything about survival they didn't and so we would sit around and tell stories at the campfire. And I didn't have any big dramatic stories, but a friend of mine was a uh, park ranger at Death Valley many years ago. And people would get lost out there, and they would, they'd come from Germany, and they'd rent a, um, a, uh, 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 an RV, and they would just drive out in the middle of Death Valley, and it would be like 125 degrees, and you know they would go hiking or something. They wouldn't take enough water, and they would quite frequently get lost, and sometimes they would die. And one guy that they were searching for did just that. He was from Germany. He didn't really know that much about Death Valley except from pictures and things, and he wasn't really prepared. Left his RV behind, and that's where they started, and they started tracking him. This guy was a fellow tracker. And they found him. He wasn't alive, but he was within about 300 yards of everything it would take for him to survive. Wow. Even in Death Valley, he, was, he, was, he had everything that he actually needed. He was just completely unaware and I always think about that story when I think about helping people through their problems with uh, with marketing, with Internet stuff, with 
uh, being an entrepreneur at the very basics and then you know whatever they might be having trouble with, most of the time what you need to succeed is right at your fingertips. Is that something that you find as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I tend to come at it from the psychology background, right? I start asking people, here's basically what it's like to sit down with me for the first time. Basically what I'm going to say is, tell me what you love. Tell me what's awesome about your life right now. And I just listen and listen and make sure I get everything out of them that they absolutely love. And it tells me a lot about them, where they are in life, what they're about. And then I say, well, what's not working? And just get them talking and talking and talking. And I'm looking for the common things, the Mm -hmm. red flags, you know. What's your home life like? What's your marriage like? What's your relationship with your kids like? You know, what's your background? What did you study? Where did you go? What's your relationship like with your family? And I'm just asking all these open-ended questions. And it gives me clues and it gives me patterns. And then I start poking and asking specific things. And then I start helping people have these aha moments right away. You know, it's it's difficult to be an entrepreneur and you have this dream and you have no real roadmap and no proof, you know, proof of concept oftentimes, just that you know that other people have made things happen. Or maybe you've had people tell you, you're really good at that. You should make a business. But then you have a spouse who's like, show me the money. Or you have parents who are like, when are you going to get a real job? spouses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So I can start looking at the dynamics of what's happening in their life, and I can absolutely show them why, how that translates to where they're stuck in their business. And when they see that, I literally see the light go on in their eyes, and then we get to solving problems. A lot of coaches are really great at pointing out what's wrong or what you could do, but very few coaches are really showing people how to do it. They're telling them, well, you know, my service is really just as a consultant or you have all the answers within you. I hate that. That's a huge pet peeve. And it's like <laughs> I say, when I was a social worker and I had to remove a child from the home, I would no sooner say to those parents, you know what, you have everything you need within you to figure this out. You let me know when you figure yeah. it all out and then we'll talk about returning your child. Oh, hell no. I was like, you need to do this, 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 this. You need to sign up for that. You need to be here. You need to do this. Now report back to me when it's done. And that's yeah. the way that I do coaching, which is not what they're teaching in certification programs. And it's it's preventing coaches from being very effective. I have to be honest. I get coaching, and I pay a lot of money for my own coaching. And trust me, I get drill sergeant-type coaching with people who are like, do this now, call me in five minutes when it's done. So yeah. I try to really help people make those connections between their off-duty life and help make better decisions and solve those problems. So I would imagine I get the sense from you that it's similar for you as well. Yeah. You have to admit, though, it's, it is kind of cool when it's in the right environment, the right context, to to ask those open-ended questions and watch people lead themselves to the answers. That's just one of the most gratifying things. You know, not in a crisis situation where they need the answers now. We're not going to play that kind of game. But if you're in a situation I find myself in more often, you know, we're in that environment where I'm still going to tell them what they need to do, but sometimes it's fun to let them go, wait a minute, I think I just got it, you know, on their own just because you asked the right questions, which is still a service. And if you're in that right environment to do it in the right context, it's just gratifying as all heck. And then when they turn around and tell you how good you are, and and (laughs) literally they just talk themselves through the problem, 
and then they, they thank you for it. I always get a little uncomfortable at that because I'm like, dude, you just did that. That's cool. I like doing that yeah. stuff. It doesn't happen that often. I'd like to do that every day, but it's just a when it happens kind of thing. No, I agree. That is such a huge part of the process. I happen to get a lot of emails. Those are the ones that I just love where I get this email like, oh, my God, you know, I realized this or I was going to make this decision and I recognized I was doing blah, blah, blah. So it, it is absolutely gratifying. I mean, we're teachers at heart, I believe, coaches. Yeah. And we see our students thrive, passing their tests getting the degrees, so to speak. I mean, we realize that we are very good at what we do and we're doing what we are meant to be doing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, uh, let's get back to the traffic thing. It is traffic masters after all. And yeah. uh, so you have this dynamic trident, triumvirate axis <laughs> of wonderful kind of business going on. Uh, when you're out there, how do you, okay, here's another question that somebody who was a, being a little bit too anal retentive about how they're thinking about their business, if they had more than one thing, they have a hard time going to a conference and figuring out what they're going to talk about. Or they might even like be struggling over, should I make multiple business cards? Because <laughs> I'm good at these. I've seen all of these things happen, as I'm sure you have too. How do you talk to people about being fluid? And just knowing, you know, just carrying around your knowledge of what you're good at and what you're here to do and being able to walk into a room without a plan, but knowing everything's going to work out great and you're going to meet great people and you'll bring to bear the things that you're doing as they are needed, if they're needed at all. How do you talk people well, through that? I mean, you just answered the question. You need to know your stuff so well and need your, to know your offerings so well that if you walk into a room where you don't know the audience and you can just deliver based on the read of the room, that's super important. Um, ideally, I wouldn't go to a conference or a networking event where I didn't already know what my intention was. So like right now, mm -hmm. I have multiple business cards, but primarily because I'm really pushing my podcast. And I have this great card that is square, and it looks like the album art of my show. And on the back, it explains what the show is and how people can be a guest. And I'm using that. That is what I'm talking about when I'm going places. doesn't mean that the other funnels that I have aren't equally important, but right now that is the main thing. So I'm trying to pick. And you're talking about what you're excited about. Like, yes. that's really important. Uh -huh. Can you just really quickly expand on that part? Because that's what you just said is, is, in other words, you're talking about what you're most excited about. Does that change the outcome for you when you walk into a room versus when you, you know, are doing the thing where it's like, well, between the two of those, which is the better outcome usually for you? Well, for me, it's always to talk about what I'm most excited about. But even before that, I would encourage people to work on their charisma, work on their presence, work on how they show up in an environment regardless of what they're there to talk about. That's the key. I often have this scenario. I'll go to an event for the first time, and I will be dressed well. I will be, you know, I'm, I'm very tall, so it's hard for me to go unnoticed. But I show up powerfully. I stand tall. I look people in the eyes. I participate, but I don't try to take over the show. But people get an automatic sense that, ooh, who is that? And people invariably come to me and say, what do you do? You know, so before I even 
talk about what I do, I show up powerfully and look like I'm somebody worth knowing. And that's not something that you come born into. You know, you need to develop that. So I do talk about what I'm excited about. That would be the number one thing. But if it's important, if there's money to be had or leads to be gotten, I'm going to definitely segue to the thing that is most applicable to the venue. Right. So that's attention-grabbing for the real world. How does it work for you in the digital world? Uh, I suppose that same excitement right now for the podcast is what you're primarily focused on in your in your promotions and um, whatever you're doing. Are, are you a are you a content marketer primarily? Would you call yourself that, or um, you know what is your main driving force as far as getting attention on the web? Where are you focusing most of your efforts? Most of my efforts are through blogging and through being on podcasts and speaking. I love to come alongside business coaches who want to introduce this concept of closing the gap with their audience. So they might not want to talk about psychology, and they would really like to have clients who were showing up powerfully to take this business action. And I like to come alongside them and talk about the, hey, did you ever think about this? Um, that, for me, is a really good lead generator. I'm not a high-content marketer at the moment. I think that that's something in my future. Um, but at the present moment, my focus is getting coaching, just straight time. I focus on having a conversation with me. For me, I have very high conversion rates when people and I just talk because I'm very mm -hmm. genuine and I'm very easy to be around. And there's so much noise out there, especially with Facebook ads, for people, you know, coach this, buy this product, buy that product. Um, that doesn't light my fire. Building a $27.99 yeah. product for now, for where I am today, that doesn't sound like a heck of a lot of fun to me. I'd rather put in, uh, energy into, hey, pick up the phone and contact me. So my media, my um, social media especially, I do a lot of videos and my list building and my interaction with my list always has the call to action, let's talk. Hit reply to this email or, uh, you know, go and book a time with me um, in yeah. my face. So that's really where my focus is. You know, when you, you mentioned that you had, you said a line that I said almost to the word, being one of the first people to do blogging for business, because uh, I was the, the first Internet marketer that I knew of, at least in my immediate industry, who took, a, you know, blogging seriously. Like, not really. I was actually doing it on a dare to myself to prove Google wrong, and at the time we were all having arguments in the Warrior Forum and other places about um, whether or not Google was genuine in its terms of service, saying, basically, uh, if you take care of your visitors, we'll take care of you with good search results. And back then that meant a completely different thing than it does now. Now you would hear somebody say, if you engage people on social media and on your site, Google can tell through lots of different signals, and algorithmically it will reward you for your ability to obviously engage real people in discussion, and, and you know they're searching for you, they're finding you, they're spending time on your site, all of that stuff. But back then we didn't even know what that meant. I don't think Google really knew exactly what it meant either because there was no social media yet. There was none of that. There weren't all the things they can base their decision on today to where, as to where you should rank. So I started a blog to prove Google wrong. I'll, I'll show you. I will put out great content. I was doing it all out of spite. It was a Friday traffic report, and, um, and it worked. 
and ended up working, and I ended up starting blogsuccess.com and all of that. So I say all of that to say this, it's changed a lot. You're from back in that day, and you've seen it go in all kinds of different directions. And I asked you if you were a content marketer, and then you mentioned blogging, but you're not doing it like you used to, I'm sure, um, but you want to. What, what do you think the state of blogging and where does blogging fit in nowadays with all of that noise and as, as much a time that you have to spend on social media uh, just to get that initial attention to get them over to your site? How do you feel about all that now? Well, oftentimes I feel frustrated. I am frustrated sometimes when I see the blogs that are shared on, you know, there's Upworthy or there's different mm-hmm. venues that, you know, um, curate content and I get frustrated because I know my work is really good and it's like ah you know but my heart still blogs conversationally and I'm trying to be a value to a hurting person or trying to show a better way to make a decision so when I'm writing I'm not all consumed with SEO and you know mm-hmm. all the bells and whistles so what I find I, I feel like there's a shift I feel like there's a shift in coaching there's a shift in content. There's a shift in what consumers want. And it's all back to, and I hate this word, but authenticity, right? Uh, it's such an overused term right now. It's such an um, inauthentic word, isn't it? <laughs> it's such an inauthentic word. It's like people say, awesome, that's awesome. Like awesome doesn't even mean awesome anymore. Um, no. So for me, blogging, I just keep my blogging what it's always been. With me being pretty funny, I guess. I mean, that's the feedback I get. Um pretty snarky, pretty just matter of fact. And I will say it can be frustrating, but here's something I've learned recently. With social media, reach obviously is so important, and there are things that we can do to increase our reach. And I recently worked with a woman who proved that point very quickly. I had written a blog um, regarding the Cecil the Lion killing, and I wrote an open letter to the dentist's wife. And people really enjoyed that piece, but it wasn't getting the traction that I thought it deserved. And this particular woman said, you know, I can help you with that. And she reposted it. And because of the way she's positioned herself and the reach that she has, the the woman that I wrote the piece about actually contacted me within five minutes. So I was I was intrigued, I was impressed, and I was also infuriated because this woman has the reach that I would like to have, but what it takes to get there is a bit of selling of your soul and mm-hmm. time and a modicum of good fortune. So it's a slow, steady roll. It's not, at least to, to for my experience, it's a slow, steady roll, and then occasionally you come across some magic or you come across a really great person that can help you, and Unless. you just have to stay devoted. Yeah, unless you change your whole idea about it to seek out the magic, and that's your whole plan, to purposefully go out to Upworthy, to purposefully go out to people who already have built this up. I I have a book called Bending the Web, and in it I talk about how overly redundantly built the web is. Like you start your business, and the first thing you do is you go buy a domain, you buy hosting, you get too much bandwidth, and you're paying them for something you'll never use or you won't use for a long time at least. And everybody does that. 
So, like, the world has built up this ability to serve bandwidth that far, far exceeds anything we're going to ever be able to do to take it up, right? Unless another site comes on and onto the, your server and uses it all up, which happens a lot. But we redundantly build things. Then we go into industries that people have already been in, saying things that we want to say too, and we think we can say them better, and we probably can. Um, and there's nothing wrong with repeating things for people who, who didn't hear it the first time. They read it, they saw it, they viewed it, whatever, and they didn't get it. And you were the one who finally got them to get it by the way that you said it. But you were saying the same thing that has been said industry-wide for the most part. Not, there's really not as much new under the sun as we thought there would be when we started this Internet thing. So my whole position is – there are people out there who have bled through the eyes to get where they are. They've got a following on Facebook that's 100,000 strong. They've got a 150,000-person list that they've built up for years. That They've got a website that's, that's got all the search engine rankings that you want to have. And you even got to prove it to yourself. I'm sure this isn't the only time it happened, but the Cecil thing got you inadvertently because it wasn't your, your marketing plan to go and vertently do it. Uh, some attention from somebody who's already got it. And what I try to get people to think of is like a rock skipping over the top of a pond. You don't, we don't need any more water in the pond. It's going to start flowing over. What we need is to figure out how to get the attention of the people who are already wrapped with attention over this person over here who has done that nine years worth of work or two years or six months or nine months. In whatever way, they're ahead of you. They have a bigger list. They have more traffic coming to their site from search and social. They have a bigger social presence. They have all of these things, and a lot of times we look at that and go, that's competition. I can't deal with that. I, I'm going to have to be better than that person. I'm going to have to build that too. And that's where the massive redundancy comes in. If the audience is already in the theater looking at the stage, ready for the next act, who's to say that you should not be that next act? Right? It doesn't have to always be the same person. Do you ever bring in um, really, really important guests ever, like to help prove your point, who are really good at something that you could describe yourself? Like if you had your podcast and you, you, you decided, I'm never going to have interviews because I know all of this stuff in this industry. Well, that's not actually the point, whether we know what we're doing or not. You know, it would be like me and Gina talking on, the, on this podcast constantly and never having guests because having guests connects you to other people. And it's like, wait a minute, we talk about similar things. Hey, you have this audience over here. We can share our audiences. Or if you're just starting out in podcasting, you, you, can, you can move up in that quite quickly by getting in front of the audiences that are already established, already sitting in the theater looking with their hands folded in their lap. They're, they're paying attention. They've got their phones down. And somebody worked their butts off to get them there, to fill those seats. And all we have to do is make a really good impression on the person that we're trying to get in front of their crowd, and we're in, like Flynn. And some people might say, well, that doesn't work. I mean, they're competition. They'll see me as competition. But you just proved that wrong in, in, in the Cecil thing. I mean, it happens all the time. We share constantly. And the final point is that we have, there's a beast that needs to be fed. And everybody knows this when you're in publishing. There's a beast that needs to be fed. You have to stay in touch. The algorithm at Facebook will dump you if you don't interact with your audience on a fairly frequent basis. That's a beast that must be fed, and a lot, there's a lot of pressure to do so. And so people who have succeeded, 
the beast gets even more voracious in its appetite. The people who have succeeded have to work more and more and, and incorporate more content, more ideas. They have to find new ways to say the same thing over and over again so people don't get bored. And one great way to do that is to bring in outside help. So you come on the scene, you're, you're to them comparatively on the numbers, on the data, the sheets, everything else, algorithms, you're a nobody. But you have something really, really great to say, something really great to contribute that's going to make them look awesome in front of their audience. They're going to pick you up because they have a beast that needs to be fed. And it needs, it needs constant attention. It's like a shark that can't stop swimming or it'll die. And if you think of it in terms of that, you can turn all of that around and just say, I, my whole model is seeking out that magic. That is where I want to go. And you know what? The side effect, the great benefit at the end of it, you will have that big list. You will have those search engine rankings, and you will have that big social following as a result or a side uh, benefit of doing all of this stuff. And th those people will be the people who loved you so much they wanted to come and follow you after, the, after you did your thing a guest post or a guest appearance on a podcast or whatever it might have been that essentially put the really popular person's arm around your shoulders and said, you need to listen to her. She knows what she's talking about. Go over here and listen. And, and we're, we do that every week on this show. We're going to tell everybody, go over here and check Phaedra out. She needs to, you need to see her here, get into her sphere of influence. She's awesome. So that kind of stuff, if you turn that into your model, then you won't feel so frustrated by what everybody else has done, you'll be thankful for it and thankful that you won't have to go through nearly the hell that they did to get where they are because <laughs> they did it the hard way. And we don't, the, the web is so overbuilt now. There's so much uh, places, focal points for attention that are active and live right now that we never really need to build our own from the ground up. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, yeah, all of this is amazing. I mean, one of the reasons that I was able to break new and noteworthy at the ranking that I did was I reached out to as many podcasters as I could and said, hey, I would love to come and be of service to your tribe. And it's exactly yeah. what you said. My biggest issue for the longest time was I was invisible. I was very well known geographically where I lived, and I had a yeah. brick-and-mortar type of situation. And when I went online, you know, I was completely unknown, and I would show up at events and travel and penetrate groups. And consistently what was happening for me is people would be like, where have you been? Oh, my God, you got to meet this person. And I come from that strong sense of collaboration. In social work, you can't get anywhere by yourself. You right. have to have <laughs> housing providers and parenting coaches and, you know, people who know where to get clothes for cheap and all these different things. And in the mental health world, it's actually even more important to be a team player and to see that we all benefit from the same outcome. So I completely resonate with what you're saying and endorse it. I look at it like reading books. You know, I'm a voracious reader, but I won't just I can only read this one author because it would be disloyal not to. Um, you know, I read everything <laughs> under the sun, and I encourage people. You know, I've written eight books. I encourage people to read not only my books, but the books of the, the that I've read. So I, I love everything you said. I felt like you should have just dropped the mic and walked away after you said it. I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I totally, I like, came back. So you couldn't yeah. tell that I did that, but I came, I did it, and then I came back. Thank you. I, I agree. You should have because you were like, right. I mean, I was incredibly inspired and it, it was also just a great affirmation. So I'm bowing, I'm bowing gracefully in front of you <laughs> metaphorically. Stand up, stand up. This is so, embarrassing. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I love that idea. I mean, I, you know, maybe you could uh, 
tell a story. Tell us another story about this particular thing where it's worked out really great for you uh, in the past. And maybe uh, you, you didn't do it on purpose. Maybe it just happened. But you, I know you have another one where you can illustrate perfectly how this has happened for you where it's like, wait, I just borrowed their authority. All of a sudden they're happy with me and they're telling all their people you know, on that stage uh, that I'm the one to follow on this topic. Give us another one of those stories because I don't think we can have too many. Yeah, so the one that jumps out at me is I went to uh, an event over on the East Coast. And I had probably been there by this time two times. And so the first time I was completely unknown when I showed up, made some connections, started following people on social media. And then when I showed up again, there were people who knew who I was. And I was invited to lunch with a group of probably the, the, the important people somewhere in the echelon. And I got to sit down and be mm-hmm. there at lunch. And one of the people was complaining about something. They got an email from a client and one of the the popular girls at the table said, oh, this is what you should do. And I piped in and said, you know, you might want to consider doing it this way and doing blah, 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 blah. And so I just took it from a different point of view. And the gal adopted what I agreed to do. And one of the women sitting there was pretty prominent. And she was just like, whoa, I have never seen that happen that quickly. You took her from a downward spiral, propped her back up on her feet, and she's got this really rocking plan that's not going to offend people and cause her drama and blah, blah, blah. So that person wanted to lean in. They wanted to know more about me. Like, who are you? Where are you come from? And that was my very first experience where a business coach brought me into their tribe. And in a lot of ways, I could have talked about business, but I didn't. I focused on that work-life, home-life balance, right? And it was incredible because I, I was able to sell, and I, um, I generally sell what we call a triple pack of sessions, and it's my introductory way to work with me. So I, I made my offer, and apparently I had a very high ranking of sales more so than she's used to from that tribe. And she had decided in her mind that the tribe's price point was at a certain place. And many of her tribes bought the triple pack and then rolled over into coaching. And she was shocked. She was like, I, I didn't think that that would happen. And it really opened up an opportunity for us to joint venture together. We did a number of things together. And it was very lucrative for both of us. It was satisfying. It was mutually beneficial. And because we did speak the same language, moreover, we were really effective together. And that complemented one another. So we could have been seen as competition, but we embraced it wholeheartedly as collaboration. And everybody benefited. You know, one of the things that uh, strikes me is that a lot of times we'll think something of someone that they've got some kind of a status. They're they're the fancy ones. They're eating fancy feats at the fancy restaurant, and they're the popular girl and all that. A lot of times I think most people have the proclivity to look at someone like that and go, they know everything. They know all there is to know. There's nothing I could ever teach them. And they'll just sit there and be an audience member and listen. Does looking back on things like that for you, one of those times must have you know, uh, set off a light bulb moment where you're like, wow, people who are really, really experts and hold themselves out there firmly as you know, really knowing what they're doing, knowing their stuff, they're at the top of their game, and it's, at least apparently they are, you've now discovered that, and probably long ago you discovered that everybody's got cracks in their system. 
everybody's got things that they need, things they're insecure about. They would never let anybody know about publicly, not at one of those fancy dinners or anything like that, but, but then they kind of do. But you have to be able to recognize that that's the fact. And even if you're trying to, like back in the day when you couldn't just write for Huffington Post, and it's still not like you can't just walk in there and do it, but it was, you know, you, you, you had to get people to write about you, you know, and, and it's still preferable to have that. I mean, if their top blogger wants to write about you, it's better than you going and blogging on things, you know. But, you know, it, it's just you, you have this picture, but what's going on behind the scenes at a Huffington Post-type site, no matter what NIST it is, what industry it is, a giant focal point, is utter and complete chaos. Nobody's got it down. It's all crazy. It changes all the time. When the web changes for you and me, it changes for Huffington Post too. And everybody's in the background scrambling around like a bunch of chicken heads cut off. And, you know, it's crazy. It's chaos. And everybody's kind of got some little bit of that going on. They have questions. They wish they had more resources in this area. Um, they've tabled some things with some meetings that they've had with their staff or whatever for later until an answer appears. Well, you were that answer for her. And uh, you've been that answer for a lot of people, I'm sure, over time. And now you probably walk around with a completely different attitude as to how you move in the world and how you affect others and knowing their backstories rather than assuming that since they're you know, the fancy people, the popular people or whatever in your niche, that they've got everything going on. Has that changed in, how, in the relaxed way now that you, you approach people and help and serve in your industry? Well, actually, there was never a time when I didn't know that. I always knew the, my whole career going, especially online, there was never a time where I didn't think that I couldn't fit in or that I didn't have something that they could benefit from because I did know what exactly what you're saying. I know that mm -hmm. most people who are, quote, on duty um, are living a, two lives because my book that I'm writing right now is called The Fear of Being Found Out, Everybody's Hiding Something, because it's true. Oh, no way. And, no way. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I didn't do enough research. I would have brought that title up right away. That's Dang okay. It. It's, oh, I'm writing it. What a it's coincidence. Out, so. Yeah. Okay. So, so I never, <laughs> there was never a time where I didn't feel that I shouldn't be sitting at that table. But what I will say is learning how to show up over and over and over again in brand new environments and penetrate the clique or penetrate the culture, that in and of itself is a gift. And people who can do that, they're the ones who can rule the world because you can go to an environment where people don't know you and maybe they are or they are not interested in meeting new people. And if you can penetrate that in a way that's not a turn off to them or doesn't bulldoze and shows value so you're not just sitting in the audience passively, that's where the change lies. And I believe I have those skill sets and that has helped me up my game. And so for me it's been a leveling up over and over and over again. And that skill set in and of itself is really a traffic tool. Oh, absolutely. Well, then, absolutely, everybody. Uh, I've made up my mind. I, I know. I've, I've made up my mind, Gina, that everybody does need to follow Phaedra immediately and watch for this book to come out. Check out her other books as well. Um, is oh, doing life no with Phaedra.com? Awesome. I, I yes, have a little um, better idea now. 
<laughs> she could have totally trumped me and said, well, actually, Jack, I, I'm writing the book on that subject right now. But she didn't. She was a gracious ho- uh, uh, attendee, an interviewee. <laughs> so, but doinglifewithphaedra.com. And is there any other URLs? Is that the best one, or where would you like to send people? Yeah, um, when people listen to me online, I love to send people to crisiscrusher.com because I have a really great freebie. It's a bunch of videos and some printouts and stuff, and it's just a really great way to see me face-to-face, listen to me, get to know me. So if you want to head over to crisiscrusher.com, that would be awesome for both of us. And again, I am loving the podcast. If you could go to uh, Coming Out of the Fire and iTunes, that would be great too. And thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, Thank thank you for being here, Dina. This was awesome, guys. I didn't even want to break in and get a word in edgewise. Thank you so much, Petra. We will be back same time, same place next week for another episode of Traffic Masters. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Jan. Have a great week. Thanks, Pedro. Uh-huh. Thank you. Bye, guys. Join us Tuesday at noon Eastern for the next episode of Traffic Masters. From traffic to conversion to business success.